Our scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look at the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen, church. Amen. It's been a wonderful month. Um, we talked about this uh, series, The Joy of the Church. And if you found this outside, this summarizes the four foundations of why you can have joy. And this is all based upon resurrection, salvation, scripture, and God's kingdom. Psalm 16, Psalm 118, Psalm 19, and Psalm 84 today. And my prayer is this, as we summarize this whole series today, uh, this is my prayer, that you would really find a true foundation of your joy. How can we have imperishable joy? It's only when we have an object that is imperishable that we have joy in. And this is, for us, the Word of God, the salvation of God, the resurrection, and God's kingdom. Amen? So as we talk about God's kingdom today, let's pray that God would give us ears to listen and eyes to see and see what God's word has in store for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we understand now that joy is not a flippant emotion uh, that comes and goes with our circumstances and our times. But Father, we come before you knowing that joy is deep and heavy, and it resonates from your being. Everything that you have done causes joy, Father. And most of all, we want to understand today that your kingdom is ultimately what we must have joy in. Would you prepare the hearts of our congregation members that as we listen to your word, that Holy Spirit, you would cause in us a desire and a thirst for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Father, we have tried too long to create our own kingdoms, in our families, in our workplaces, and we find out how desperately short we fall of creating an ideal uh, place for all of humanity. Father, we turn to you. You must reign. Father, we turn to you. You must be our king, and we must be your faithful servants. And so in uh, this short time that we have, would you cause a paradigm shift 
in our hearts to help us understand you are our God and our ruler, and we are your people. Father, bless us with your word, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, how does joy come from God's kingdom? Uh, to understand this, we want to look a little bit at the subtitle to today's text. Uh, the subtitle reads this way. It says, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah. A Song of the Psalms of Korah. Now, who are the sons of Korah? Now, let's do a little bit of history. Um, the sons of Korah were spared from God's punishment because one day in the wilderness, they rebelled against Moses' leadership. And they felt that there was a better way to do things. And so they rebelled against him, and they said, we are the leaders now. And basically, God uh, cut off the camp in where they were at, and the earthquake swallowed all of Korah and his friends around him. And so basically, Korah and his sons uh, were seen as rebels who instigated a rebellion against Moses and God himself in the, in the wilderness. But the wonderful thing about today's message, and the beautiful thing, is that the sons of Korah, his family, were spared. And the, the sons of Korah continued to worship and serve the tent of God, the tabernacle of God, uh, in faithful servants as the descendants of Levites. And so their service towards uh, God's household continued and continued until after seven generations, unto this family was born Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet later anoints David, and David in turn commissioned the sons of Korah to continue not just serving the tent and the tabernacle, but he commissions them to serve the temple of God. And so later on in David's period, the sons of Korah were warriors alongside him. They were serving as doorkeepers to the temple, and also they led worship. And so more and more, we see how the sons of Korah, um, from their origins, are now being uh, restored, and they're being uh, lifted up before God, and they're being redeemed. And so this comes basically from a group of redeemed people who know that they were rebels and yet see the beauty of God. And so when the sons of Korah wrote this, not David himself, the sons of Korah wrote this, you have to understand the background of where they're coming from. They were rebels being invited into a presence with the living God once more. And so that is a mindset that I, that I hope that we have. Why is the kingdom of God joyful? Because we were rebels, sin, sinners, who are broken by sin, and we're now being invited into service and relationship with the living God. Amen? And that's the only way to get grace out of today's text, is to see where we are coming from, to understand why God's kingdom is so beyond our reach. That's the starting point. Now, although there isn't any explicit references to God's kingdom in today's psalm, we see an abundance of imagery and language that points to a desire and a sense of longing for God's household, his dwelling place, his dwelling place. And so verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. This sounds really interesting because all of us desire to go to heaven. But here's the thing. Uh, this is phrased really weirdly because it says, How lovely is your dwelling place. In other words, it's like looking at a tent and touching the fabric and saying, how lovely is this, right? The word lovely usually isn't used for tents. It's not used for locations. Verse 2 says, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. I mean, you know, the most beautiful place I've ever been to was uh, Nova Scotia in uh, Cape Breton. 
and you know, a seven-hour drive along the coastline, it's almost like the ocean, you forget where the ocean stops and where the, uh, where the sky starts. And that's the most beautiful place in my memory. It's just that I've never fainted for want of being there again. And so how beautiful must a place be for you to faint and long for that place, right? And then it says here, there's a holistic cry. My heart and my flesh sing for joy. Well, we see what's happening now. We sing for joy to the living God. And here's the thing. Our desire and our joy for the kingdom of heaven is not for a location. It's not for an ultimate destination. It's for who is there. God is there. So how lovely is your dwelling place because you are there, O Lord. How lovely is where your courts are because you give wisdom there. And so the nature of God makes everything around him beautiful. Amen? So here's a question. What are you desiring when you think of heaven? Perfect bliss? Perfect body? No more ailments? Perfect wisdom? Or do you want God from whom all those benefits flow? That's my question to you. This is the first thing that we have to see, understanding God's kingdom. It's not just a location. It's about the person of God. And heaven is heaven because of God's character. Amen? Repeat after me. This is really important to understand. Heaven is heaven because of God's character. Amen. That's why we want to go there. It's because of who God is and who he's demonstrated himself to be. Let's look at a picture. Uh, there is this challenge that goes around in Facebook and Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter. And it says here, okay, you get to live here uh, for a million dollars. So you're not paying a million dollars. You are getting paid a million dollars, free food, free Wi-Fi, everything. You get to live here for a whole year and you get one million dollars at the end. But the thing is, you have to type into the response. And when you press uh, circle A, uh, when you press the at sign, it gives you a list of all the people who are your friends in a random order. And then you have to choose the third person there. And the question is, would you live there with a million dollars with the person that appears in your Facebook list? And so I was like, that's easy. Like, beautiful house, right? Would love to live there. A million dollars, never going to taste that in the end of my life, right? And so why not? How easy would this be? And so I type in circle A, at, and then... I recognize why this is so hard. Because the person who came out was a, a kwonsanim I didn't know too well in Korea. And so it's not that I had anything for her or against her. I just didn't know her. And so imagine how awkward it is to live in a paradise like this, but with a person you are awkward with. Like, what do you do? Right? You come to understand a location or a place is not heaven if the wrong people are there. And a location is not heaven, definitely not heaven, if the owner of that place is not good. God's dwelling place is beautiful, amen? And the courts are beautiful because why? The one who dwells there is good and perfect. God's character is what makes heaven what it is. And God's goodness is what makes God's kingdom so good. Those of you who haven't had a taste of what God is like won't desire heaven. You won't. A lot of people prefer hell because that's where they still find their own sovereignty. 
People prefer heaven when they know who God is. That's the joy of the kingdom. So the most determinative, important question is this then. Not what is the system of heaven like? What form of governance does it have? What are the, uh, the technologies that are there? What kind of housing will we get? The main question for heaven is this. What is God like? Like, who is the God that I'm going to be living with forever like? And that's what the sons of Korah are trying to sing about. Verse 3, it says this. Even the sparrows find a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And so this turns from a vision of heaven and God's household, and it focuses and zooms in on who? My King and my God, who is like what? So merciful and good that the weakest of all creation, sparrows and swallows, can nest there safely. That's how good our God is. And when you're unable to say that that's how good your God is, why go to heaven? The second point you need to understand about God's kingdom today is this. It is where God is worshipped. You see, it's here. Like, at your altars, O Lord, everyone finds their shelter. It's where God is worshipped that heaven is heaven. And where God is worshipped, people flourish and they find rest. I mean, I wonder how many of you feel like a sparrow, flapping your wings too much to stay, uh, you know, floating in the air. And you come to church, like, are you resting right now? Are you making a, re- a nest here? Is this where your hope comes from? A lot of you make your nest at home. And your home is not perfect unless God is ruling over your home. And that's why even in your rest, even in your sleep, there's so much anxiety. God says, if you're weak, if you're burdened, come and I will give you rest. Where God is worshipped, people can flourish and rest. Amen? You believe that? Where God is worshipped, we can rest. And we need that. That's why we can rejoice. I want to tell you that we are worshipping God right now. Amen? We're worshiping God right now. We're at his altar. And that means you can rest and flourish here. You're safe. You can be vulnerable. You can be open because God takes care of the weak. That's his character. When he is worshiped, God exercises his character on behalf of those who worship him. So if you are here, I don't care about how much you understand this sermon. I want to tell you this. Worship him right now and his benefits will be poured out unto you. That's his kingdom. Wherever God reigns, his kingdom comes. And wherever God reigns, he will be worshipped and his will will be done. That's the second point. You know, what happens though when you try to bring down God's kingdom by your own power and your own will? So without God as, you know, God, God as king, you know, we've got to remember this. We call this kingdom theology. Any kingdom needs three things. What? God as a ruler, a king, right? A kingdom needs a king. And then what else does a kingdom need? A people to be ruled over. And number three, it needs a territory, right? A territory. And that's the three components of God's kingdom. God as king, us as subjects to his kingdom, and also the 
uh, territory of God's kingdom, which used to be Israel, which is temporarily found in the church of God and in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and which will be God's kingdom to come. But here's the thing. What if we try to kick out the king and we try to make ourselves a king? What happens? Next picture. What's common amongst these two groups of people? They look totally different. They think different thoughts. But here's the same common thing. A pastor looked at them and said this. They want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. In other words, these are people who are trying to recreate the kingdom of God by their own moral stances and their own moral viewpoints and saying, God, you can wait a while while I seize power and opportunity to bring about your kingdom. And this is what happens in 2020 and 2021. Wherever we try to bring about something that God has not yet permitted in his time. Like, unless the church becomes God's kingdom, and unless the kingdom of God is expanded from the church, this will continue to happen. Idealistic, morally-minded people trying to recreate paradise in their own twisted way, which leads to other people not flourishing. For in your presence, people cannot rest. In your presence, swallows and you know, the weak people, the marginalized, cannot find shelter because we're just human. And so when we kick out the king and we try to create God's kingdom, this is what happens. This is why Jesus begins his ministry by saying what? First words of his ministry, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. What does that mean? He's not saying, oh, you're going to get kicked out of your territory. He's not saying a new uh, land is coming in. He's saying this, a king is coming and he's going to switch sovereignty with you. You're no longer going to be pretenders to the throne. You can't make moral sovereign decisions anymore. The king is coming. Therefore, what's the response? Not just rejoice, but repent. Are any of you here kings? And where you are king, you will show what kind of governance uh, your family leads to, your household leads to, your jobs lead to. If you are sovereign over your workplace, if you're a boss, you're, if you're an employer, if you are king over that place, your employees will not be happy. If you are king over your family, unless you rely upon God's rule, your family will not be happy or joyful. God must be king everywhere. Amen? Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. He's saying, lay down your crowns. You're too sovereign. And when two sovereign beings collide, one is turn, turns out to be a false king and one turns out to be the true king. That day has come in Jesus' ministry. That day has come. Heaven isn't ushered in by our activity, by our willfulness, by our strategizing. Heaven is brought in when people worship God. Amen? How do we make sure 2021 doesn't repeat 2020? This is going to sound really cheesy for those of you who believe in, in solid activism, and I still promote that, but here's the answer. Church, worship God. Obey him, and God's kingdom will come. To the extent of your influence, God's kingdom will come when we worship. Now, 
That's why the sons of Korah continue. When God reigns, the sparrow and the swallow can flourish. And so that's why the sons of, uh, sons of Korah say, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then, Selah, Selah. This word, uh, Selah, is kind of like a musical term. And so if you see, when you're playing the violin, for example, and you see an F, it means forte, right? So it means get louder. If you see a rest, it says basically uh, stop for about four uh, beats. If you see Selah in the midst of a psalm, this is what he's saying. Stop here and meditate. What has just been said is so important, you need to stop and meditate and think about this and digest it because it is rich in theology. So here it is. What is so rich about saying, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah? Basically, it means we are to rest and consider these words. Because God is a blessed God, those who dwell in his house are also blessed. You get that? So you become like who you live with. You become like who your father is. I remember um, I was up to elementary school. I was studying in Texas. And then I went for middle school and high school in Korea. And then I came back for college in Texas. And one day I was just walking along the campus and my father's professor uh, says hi to me. It's like, she's like, uh, David, is that you? And I was like, uh, yes, Dr. Wiley, you haven't seen me for a long time. How do you know that I am David? And she smiled and said, because you walk just like your dad. So uh, my dad, he used to put on, and I used to do this, put on my backpack and we would walk forward with like a 15-degree angle, like a little forward like that. And she recognized me by my walk because like father, like son, like king, like subject, like roommate, like roommate. Who you live with, who is in your dwelling place determines who you are. That is a core principle in the kingdom of God. If your God is king, then you will exhibit kingdom traits. If Satan is your ruler, you will show the fruit of what that means. There will be division. There will be hostility if you serve someone other than God. So the third point for today is this. In God's kingdom, God's people become like the God that they worship. If you worshiped Baal in ancient Near Eastern culture, you would become very sensual and sexually immoral because Baal was that kind of God. If you worshipped, I uh, can't remember the name, uh, Mordech, I think. Uh, if you worshipped the God whom you offered your children as sacrifices to, your culture became, and this is why the Assyrians became well known for their viciousness, you become vicious. And if you worship God, you become what? Blessed. If God is a God who blesses nations, you become a blessing to the nations. If God is a God of law and justice and order, you become like that to the nations as well. And if God is a God of mercy and justice, you become like that as well. We reflect the nature of God. So dear KCPC, your character and the fruit of your life show the king that you worship. May it point to God, amen? May it point to God. But let's look at your life. Let's look at how you spend your money. Where does it point to? Unless it's pointed to God, like father, like son, 
you have to make sure who your father is then. God's kingdom means that you worship God as your father and you become like him. We call that sanctification. We become like him more and more every day in God's kingdom. Verses 5 through 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. What does this mean? What is all this talking about? Often we think of God's kingdom as heaven or a place to be reached after you die. And here's the thing. Here the sons of Korah are saying this. You know what? Like God's kingdom is not there or over there or then and not now. The sons of Korah are saying this. God's kingdom is a continuation of this life to the next. God's kingdom is right now and coming. And it's that sense that we often lack. The fourth thing we need to understand about God's kingdom is that it is way bigger than heaven in the afterlife. God's kingdom is where God rules and his people submit. Amen? That's the territory of God's kingdom. And so right now, if we are hearing God's will for us right now, and you obey, that is what? God's kingdom. We are currently living it. Amen? Like this is a continuation of God's kingdom. Acts chapter 29 all the way through. It stops at 28, by the way. So we're living out God's kingdom Right now, when we worship God and God has his presence amongst us, we are in God's kingdom right now, and we're waiting for the final culmination of it. That's why it says this. In other words, I can experience God's kingdom not just when I die, but in the twists and the bumps and the messiness of my life right now. Do you believe that? That your life right now in all this messiness can be a part of the kingdom of God and lead you towards him? Do you believe that? Like No matter how many mistakes you made the past week, it can be a continuation. Listen to this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Why are they blessed? Why? Because even though life is tough, it says, in your heart, there's a highway to Zion where God dwells. And so, no matter what your circumstances are like, right, no matter what what difficulty and suffering you're going through, in your heart, there's a highway to heaven. Like you're, there's a highway leading to God's city, and the kingdom of God is right now and not later. So let me tell you this. You're not escaping this life. You're not supposed to be running away from the things that, that scare you. This is a continuation of God's kingdom because in your heart, God reigns. Amen? It's totally doable. Next, it says this, the valley of Baca, uh, Baca is, is interpreted as weeping. And so in the valley of weeping, right, you're weeping at all these tears, all these sorrows, and all the tears accumulate into what? This is beautiful. It means that the most painful moments of your life can turn into springs of living water. Your tears turn into springs of living water and also early rains. That's what it says here. Let's read the verse again. As they go through the valley of Baca, through all the suffering and weeping in your life, they make it a place of springs. Amen? And this is what it's meaning. If you live in God's kingdom, your suffering turns into beauty and training. God's kingdom guarantees that. 
I don't, I don't know about you. How many of you desire that your tragedies will turn into triumph? Amen? That your tragedies will turn into triumph. We need that. And if you are in God's kingdom, that is a guarantee. Amen? Could you take that as God's word? It is. It really is God's word. It's his promise to you. Final point. Verse 8. They go. Who are they? The people who find their strength in God because they're in God's kingdom. What happens to them? They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And so the rest of your life can look like this, moving from strength to more strength. Strength to more strength, amen? It's not weakness and misery to strength all the time. It is a continuation and a building up of moral character and, and, and virtue and, and joy before God. You can go from joy to joy to joy and strength to strength to strength if you live in God's kingdom, amen? If you don't, it's always, how do I escape my misery? How do I get out of the valley of Baca? But this is what it's saying. Go from strength to strength to strength until you reach God in Zion. We need that. We need that. Like, we don't want to like, backtrack anymore. We want to stop stumbling. We want to go from strength to strength. And victory is possible only when you are a citizen of the kingdom of God submitting to his reign. Amen? That's what we desire for all of our people at KCPC. Like whenever we walk in through those doors, a lot of you carry the weight of the world inside. Right? Strength to strength. Joy to joy. One day I hope, because you are living God's kingdom here and out there, that as you come inside those doors, there would be what? Rejoicing. Praise God for he has been good to me out there and I'm looking forward to see what he has for me in, right here in the midst of worship. And it'll be strength to strength to strength to strength, joy to joy to joy to joy. That is a characteristic of people who live in God's kingdom. It must be yours. My wife and I both have a common testimony. Uh, both of us know what it feels like to live in a cold, dark basement, damp basement. Uh, I'll let my wife tell her own story. In my case, uh, when I first immigrated to Toronto, uh, that was my valley of baka, my valley of weeping. Uh, no friends, no family, uh, no job, uh, cold weather and nothing to do. Like, no friends, like, just nothing. A valley of nothing. And I remember, it was a pretty big basement, actually. I, I laid down here, and while I was praying, I was so frustrated and angry that I would roll from one side of the room to the other side of the room, praying and crying out, God, what the heck do you want from this life? What do you want? Because whenever I opened my eyes, I would see my reality. Like, nothing to do. Why am I even here? It was like I had been thrown into Canada. And yet, here's the thing, craziest thing ever. When I open my eyes, I see my basement and nothing to do with my situation and my circumstances. But when I close my eyes in prayer and in word, and I committed myself to obey God no matter what, God's kingdom came to my basement. God's kingdom came to my heart. And where there was frustration and anger, 
God's kingdom and his peace and his joy came. And I just, I don't want to let this be about location. If you are in any state of mind or any state of heart where you are despairing in your own self, listen to God's word, obey him, praise him as king, and let him benefit you with his character, his goodness, his joy. Any situation you're in right now can become a continuation of God's kingdom, no matter where you are. Amen? I promise you, you will need to hold on to this promise one time, a certain point during next week. There will come a time where you will ask God why, and he will respond, because my kingdom is expanding through your obedience. You need to hear that, and you must obey. Finally, verse 8 It says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Another Selah here. It says, Behold our shield, O God. Look uh, Look on the face of your anointed. Here's another Selah. Something else to pause and listen. And this is a fifth characteristic about God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, God listens to his people. Amen? In God's kingdom, God listens to those he has a covenant relationship with. If Jesus died for you, he hears everything that you say, everything that you feel, everything that you cry. God hears that and he responds. That is the privilege of being in God's kingdom. How can you have joy in God's kingdom? It's a direct line of communication with the king of all the universe. That's how you have joy right now. I mean, think about this world. The United States... The Customs and Immigration uh, Services, uh, which they're being so slow with my application for a green card right now, like, they take about a year to respond. The IRS, you can't get in contact with them in tax season. And if you contacted, if you succeeded in contacting the president, you'd probably get arrested. And so here's the thing. The world that we live in right now, the kingdom that we have built for ourselves, means that there is isolation from the ruler of that community, but only in God's kingdom, do you have direct access to God as his child? Amen? If you had direct access to the IRS, how easy would your tax returns be? If you had direct access to every, you know, federal government in the United States, every, you know, municipal government in the United States, how easy would a lot of your lives be? Here's the thing. You have direct access to God. Are you praying? You have direct access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who holds all authority up in his arms. Are you praying and relying upon that? Only those who know that they are living in the kingdom of God can pray like that. Amen? ACPC, we have to pray. Like, how do I know if you're living actually in the kingdom of God? It means your prayer time goes up because you have a direct connection with God and you utilize it effectively and you trust that it will bear fruit. I mean, so many people make fun of Christians when we say, hey, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And they're like, oh, like you're not doing anything for me. Your your thoughts and prayers are with me. But in the kingdom of God, we rely upon God's authority to take care of all injustice in the world. What we, the best thing we can offer is our prayers to God. And that as we understand his heart, that results in a response that serves the world 
to the degree I can. And so Christians pray, amen? Christians pray. I don't think you get it. Christians pray, amen? We have direct access. Use it. Stella, <laughs> think about that. Stella. Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper to the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, a thousand days versus one day. A thousand to one. I think that's kind of the ratio that some Christians spend with God versus time spent without God. A thousand minutes is 16 hours. And this becomes scary. This is, not, this is, this is no longer hyperbole or you know, a, a metaphor. Like, you actually probably spend 16 hours and then you might pray for about one minute. Or you might do QT for one minute. And what if God tells you one day that one minute was more valuable than all the 16 hours you spent working, pursuing your love interests, pursuing your hobby without God? You know, God's, uh, like, you know, we see two senses of time in God's kingdom. You know, kairos and chronos, right? Chronos is tick-tock, tick-tock, one, one second per second, and that's chronos time. And all of us have a measured amount of chronos time, right? But there's also kairos time, time that is meaningful before God because it has qualitative value before him. And even though Jesus only yeared three chronos years, chronology, right? Even though Jesus only lived three years, uh, sorry, uh, in ministry, sorry, 33 years in total, Yet, his life was more valuable in terms of kairos because every second of his life was an expansion in connection to God's kingdom. Do you understand that every second of your life done for and with and in God's kingdom outmeasures everything that you do just without God? Tick-tock, tick-tock. 1,000 to 1. And if I tell you, your one minute with God was more valuable than everything else you did for that day, how does that change your life? Another symptom of God's kingdom's people is this. Not only do they pray, they spend time in God, in Christ. And they love that time. They savor that time. They know how valuable it is. Amen? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Where the wicked rule, that time is not valuable. But where God rules, and I spend time there, beauty, life, and light, they fill me. And only those of you who have tasted this will know and confess just like this. A thousand days outside, outside there is not worth one day before you. You're spending an hour and 30 minutes here. I pray every second has eternal value. Amen? The only way to do so is in acknowledgement of God's kingdom here in our midst. God, our king, is with us. Now, why is a thousand days outside not worth Day, one day in God's court, or in the other way around, why is one time spent with God worth so much more than the world uh, that we have right now? It's because verse 11 and 12. 
For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So this started from a sermon or an idea about God's territory, about where he lives, the tent, the courts, the the palace that he lives in, and it's slowly shifting to a focus on what? Who is God? What is his nature? What's his being like? Because he determines what that experience in heaven will be like. And the sons of Korah, we need to repeat after them exactly what they say. Lord God, you are a son. Like, goodness emanates from you. Like, you are the source of all good things that makes heaven heaven. You protect the weak like the shield. You bestow favor, honor, goodness, and blessing comes from you alone. That's what makes heaven heaven. And my question is this, what are you looking for in heaven that you don't have access to right now? What are you looking for in heaven that God already isn't for you right now? He's given you everything, and heaven will be a continuation of that without sin, without blemish, imperfection. And yet, we can still taste the kingdom of God on the tip of our tongues right now. For God is the same God he doesn't change when we get to heaven. And so if you're not enjoying him right now, are you sure you're going to enjoy heaven? Develop a taste. Like, like the psalmist say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen? Like without that taste, you're not going to enjoy heaven. And so as we prepare, like why do we come to worship? Why do we hear the word of God? Why do we cast aside sin? And why do we ask for holiness? Why is that? To develop kingdom taste buds. Uh, You're getting used to being a citizen of God's kingdom, which is invisible right now, but practice in the church. Let's develop that taste bud. And when we arrive in heaven, we'll be able to sing, a thousand days there was not worth one second before you, God. This is so good. Praising, can you come up? The sons of Korah, had the privilege of serving God's household for hundreds and hundreds of years. But even they, they were doorkeepers. That meant that they didn't have access to where? The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies where God's holy presence was. And if you entered, unless you were the high priest one time during the year, you would die if you entered that. And the sons of Korah knew that limitation. They were so happy to be doorkeepers of God's kingdom. But how much do you think that they desire to actually be with God? And here's the thing that we ignore that the sons of Korah didn't have access to. We have access because Christ, the high priest, brought us into God's presence. Amen? And so here's the thing. Like, we who were rebels from the start. We deserve to be in hell forever and ever because of our rebellion towards the one sovereign God. Yet, Christ becomes our high priest, and so we are brought into heaven. And it gets better, though. One day, when we arrive at the gates of heaven, Jesus himself will welcome us, and we won't be stuck at the city limits. We won't be stuck at the outer doors or the gate. We won't be stuck in the inner field. Jesus will take us straight to the throne of God. And we will have perfect access to the one the sons of Korah only could look upon from a distance. 
That's the better news for all of us. Like the gospel ensures that you get direct access to the most beautiful being in the whole universe. That's where your joy will come from. And you have direct access. It's not shadows of a covenant or shadows of a, of a, of a theology or a paradigm. You get the actual being himself. And it still gets better. Why? Before we approach God, the creator, God approached us. He came to us. He wore and took on flesh. He loved us so much. He wanted to be one with us. God amongst us, Emmanuel, that he came as Jesus. He carried the cross. And now he is with us forever. And yet it still gets better. Why? Because Jesus conquered the grave And he now takes up residence in you, in me. Like, Jesus lives in a sinner like me. What does that mean? My heart is the kingdom of God. Like, you are the kingdom of God because of the presence of the one inside you. And now, wherever you go, you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go to, you know, a a mountaintop. You can worship God where you are and have full joy from the inside. Not from the outside, from the inside out. Because that's why the Holy Spirit was promised to give you streams of living water from your belly. Living water. So you are embodying the kingdom of God until we all become caught up into heaven and we form the perfect kingdom of God in the territory of God's new earth. And there will be happiness forever. No more tears. And God's kingdom will kick out all sin and all who proclaim themselves sovereign. There will be no more of that. And God's kingdom will reign. So it gets better and better and better. But we can still say this. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now every step I take is God's kingdom. Your family can be God's kingdom. Amen? Your workplace and your commute can be God's kingdom. The sons of Korah exclaim, blessed are those who dwell in your house. But the sons of the living God who know Jesus Christ, they respond, blessed even more are those within whom God dwells. God lives in you. God's kingdom is here. Rejoice in him today. Amen? Let's pray and worship.